negative in any way, and, and so far, at least, it's never resulted in any ideas for things I should do around the house, so it's fine. But as much as I don't love it, I do love her. And I do believe that, that part of loving someone is that you, you find a way to take interest in some of the things in which they're interested, that you care for some of the things that they care about. And it doesn't have to be everything. I mean, I've got my standards. I won't go into details. I've got my standards. But in general, it is a good idea to cultivate some interests in common with a person that you love, even if the interests themselves are not terribly interesting. And so I can house hunt domestically or internationally, right? I'm all over island living and and island hunting and living in Hawaii, right? I can spot rehab addiction from a mile away. I can flip. I can flop. I would not, as a piece of advice, let Jonathan and Drew in my house because their projects always run massively over budget. Uh, I recognize that every home improvement project overruns some, but they're like 50 to 100% every time. Uh, I would probably consider letting Chip and Joanna in my house, uh, and I would always love it. I'm not really a big listic kind of guy. And, and so I show my love for me by, by choosing to care about some of the things that she cares about. And there, there are more significant examples in our marriage, but I like to talk about trivial things in this case. It's no, no risk of hurting any feelings that way. But in the same fashion, it is vitally important, I think, that we show our love for God by caring for things that he cares for, right? So just as we show our love for human beings by caring for the things they care for, one of the ways we show our love for God is by caring about what he cares about. And and that's what we're going to explore today as we conclude our look at the three rights of a believer that are described in 1 John. And over the previous weeks, we've, we've visited each of the individual themes of 1 John. I'll put up my uh, 1 John in a nutshell slide here that I've talked to all along. And we have looked at right living, and we've looked at right belief, and we've looked at right loving, and we've, we've seen how each of them contribute to strengthening our confidence in our faith. Right? And we've, we've talked about how valuable that confidence is because every Christian will experience times in their lives where they feel disconnected from life, where they feel burdened, where bad things are happening, where maybe they're being covered by the blizzard of life, where they doubt their faith, where they doubt whether their prayers are being heard. And so we've seen over the weeks, in in each week, how the Scripture teaches us that we can be confident in our faith, even when our feelings might be telling us something different. And specifically, we've seen how how right living gives us confidence that we truly know Christ, and how right belief gives us confidence that we truly abide in Christ, and how right loving gives us confidence that we truly have eternal life. And if you missed any of these messages, and I'll put in a plug, these are always available online. I think one of them might have missed getting online, but the, the link is right on the LRBC homepage. It's a large blue button, Sermons Online. Now, as we wrap this series up, I'm actually looking very forward to our next series, which starts next Sunday, so I'll put in a little advertising plug for that. Uh, what we're doing is, you know, we've talked about 
living and loving and believing the way we're supposed to believe. We're, we're going to continue our, our look uh, of sort of all John all the time from Christmas Eve to Easter as we turn to the Gospel of John and we get up close and personal with Jesus. And we talked about we need to walk like him, so we're going to see a little bit about how he walked. And we need to love like him. We'll see a little bit how he loved. What we're going to be focusing on are the miracles that are recorded in the book of John that are called the signs. Right? These, are, these are the things that I think are going to most importantly help with us and our belief, that right belief element. Right? Because they're going to, I think it's going to be very exciting. It's going to refresh and build up our faith and our realization of who Jesus is and our excitement. But I would also say I think this will be an excellent series if you have a friend or a relative or a neighbor or a coworker who is, who's maybe got some interest in in Jesus or some spiritual matters, but they're not yet committed to faith. They're not yet committed to a church. And so I would urge you as we walk through these next several weeks to, to be in prayer for people you know who might be, who might, you know, benefit from an invitation to come and join you one Sunday. Uh, again, a lot of people are open to a direct invitation who would not otherwise respond to an ad, uh, uh, something in the mail. But before we get started on the, on the signs, what I call the seven signs of the Savior that we're doing next week, we've got one more amazing passage to consider from 1 John. It's going gonna, it's gonna to really, I think, wrap up our study of these three themes and the way they build our confidence in the faith. And, and what we're going to see in this passage is all three of the themes come together in this way that, that really, I think, addresses what is, to me, possibly our greatest privilege and joy as we live as Christians, and that is to live confidently as children of God. So turn with me, if you would, to 1 John 5, verses 1 through 5. I'll put it up on the screen, but I do encourage you to always follow along in your own Bible, because as, we, as I change these slides, if you have it on your phone or your Bible, you'll have the verses with you. John writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome for for everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And I think it's amazing and awesome in this passage, the way the three themes come together and we see them interrelate and how they are just integrally interwoven and you cannot separate them. And they come together to to create this beautiful whole of our Christian walk. And the more I read 1 John, the more I love this passage, and I love the beauty and the elegance of the way these themes come and work together. And, and so as we, as we look at it, the heart of this passage, the, the beating heart, is a celebration of our life as children of God. And from it, we're going to see some very important implications for our life as children of God. And and so these are the essential truths that I want to focus on this morning. And I want to start with this amazing truth 
that we are children of God. And this is something that John emphasizes throughout his gospel and throughout this epistle, very, very often in this epistle. It's expressed most simply here in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. This simple yet amazing fact is is what explains some of the lessons we learned earlier in this series. You know, we, we learned that right belief gives us confidence that we truly abide in Christ, but but we didn't learn at the time why this was so. And I think we see the answer here. It's that right belief, our belief that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the eternal king of the world, that he is the anointed Messiah and Son of God, that's what saved us. And that's what meant that we had been born of God. And so it's not just that we are created by God, which is, which is cool enough, but that we are his children because of our faith. He has adopted us as sons and daughters and made Jesus Christ our brother. And so, as a family ought to do, we abide in each other. We abide in our brother, and our brother abides in us. 1 John 3, 1 emphasizes this point, and he says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. What kind of love he has given to us. That we should be called children of God, and so we are. What an amazing love this is, that that everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who, who confesses their sins and asks for forgiveness, is immediately brought into the family of God, as a full member. There's no trial periods. There's no vesting. You are in the family of God from the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. I want to take a moment and just savor this, right? Because we so quickly, so often, we're rushing around doing the things we're supposed to do that we're assigned to do as Christians, our, our responsibilities, that we sometimes forget to just stop and enjoy what we have here. So I have a little audience participation right here because I am excited that I am a child of God and I am excited that you are children of God. So just repeat after me. I am a child of God. God is my Father. Jesus is my brother. I just think that's amazing. God is our Father, and He is a perfect Father. And whether you have an awesome dad, or a terrible dad, or you've never even met your dad, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus as Lord has a perfect Father in heaven. We have a Father who is full of grace and mercy, who is slow to anger, who is abounding in love and patience for us, even when we mess up. He is always there for us. And with him comes an amazing family, right? We have have our family here, our brothers and sisters in Christ in this room. We have brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. And we have our big brother, Jesus. 
Scripture promises us that we are co-heirs with him of an inheritance in heaven. So, so whenever we are experiencing difficulties in life and we're feeling distant or unloved or robbed by life, we just need to pause and remember these truths and, and be comforted by them and draw strength from them, right? God is our Father. Christ is our brother. Our inheritance is in heaven. And nobody can ever take that away from us. And, and, and as we enjoy this truth, I mean, this amazing truth, and I think it is amazing, right, that the creator of the universe adopted us, Well, the rest of this passage unfolds two enormous implications of this truth. John continues in verses 1 through 3. He says, Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. So the first way that we show our love for God is that as children of God, we love our Father when we love his children. Most Christians, and even most non-Christians, have a a decent grasp of the idea that as believers, we're supposed to love God and love people. I suspect most folks, even non-Christians, could probably cite one or both parts of the great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. We should love our Father because He is our Father and because He is worthy of love. He created us. He loves us. He nurtures and cares for us. He disciplines us when we need it. And He keeps us company and sustains us in the lowest points in our lives. And unlike even the best of human fathers, He is perfect and always present. He is loving and merciful and righteous and knowledgeable and wise and always willing to forgive us when we mess up and come to him apologizing. Now what John has made clear is that to love God, we need to also love the people whom he loves. I began by talking about one way we show love for a person, which is to take an interest or a passion in the things that they are interested in. But another dimension of how we love a person is to love and care for the people whom they love. I'll give you an example, and everyone's mileage may vary on this. In-laws. Now, most of you know my in-laws, right? And I'm very blessed to have a great set of in-laws. It's unfortunate they're not here for me to to, say good things in their presence. Hopefully, they'll listen online. (laughs) because I want to get my bonus points here. But no, I mean, you know, one of the great tragedies of life is that more people can't marry into Melanie's family just to get Walt and Jean as their in-laws. But it's, it's certainly true they're terrific people, but it's also undeniably true that our relationship is what it is because the person whom I most love here on earth cares about them deeply. So if Melanie weren't in the equation and I were somehow still at this church, I'm, I'm sure I'd be friends with Walt and Jean, and they'd be that wise, mentoring, caring couple that you all know. But it wouldn't be the same, right? Because my love for them has grown as an extension and a reflection of my love for my wife. Now, in a similar way, if we genuinely love God, then we must 
grow in our efforts to love those whom he loves. So as his children, we need to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and that's right loving, which is what we talked about two weeks ago. And it's what gives us confidence that we have eternal life. Now, After that service, a wise member of our congregation reminded me that, yes, John here is talking to believers about loving believers, but we should not forget that we're also commanded to love everyone, non-believers as well. And, and I agree with this point completely. And that as we are loving those whom God loves, we need to remember the lost, those who don't yet know God. We need to remember that he passionately loves them and dearly wants them to come into a faithful relationship with him. It is, after all, the lost for whom God sent his only son, so that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Once we were lost... And we received that gift. I'm not going to speak further on loving others this morning because we did just talk about it a great deal two weeks ago. But I want to emphasize that John is very clear. As children, for, children of God, we must passionately care about the people for whom God, our Father, is passionate. Likewise, we need to passionately pursue the things about which he is passionate, right? I talked about that a little bit with my silly HGTV example. We, we need to have an interest and a passion and a love for the things that God is passionate and things that he loves, right? And, and one of those things that he's very clearly passionate about are his commandments. And so the second way in which our love for God reveals itself is that as children of God, We love our Father when we keep His commandments. And this is what I've been calling right living. And you'll recall that right living gives us confidence that we truly know Christ. And the reason for that is that that these commandments are really the essence of His mind and His will. And so when we are obeying His commandments, we are in His will. We are understanding His mind. Now, I think a non-Christian would take a look at this Bible and shake their head at the prospect of having to obey all of God's commandments. I think they would look at this and think that it was a nearly limitless list of things to do that was heavy, that was impossible to obey. Even, I think, Christians, we often get overwhelmed by this. We feel like there's so many things we're supposed to do and not do that it's overwhelming, and we we begin to despair sometimes. And I think it's often overwhelming because unfortunately, many times in churches and as preachers and as teachers, we do a very poor job of explaining the good news of the Bible. And instead, we just talk about the do's and the don'ts, and we get caught up in it, and it becomes very burdensome. But John tells us that this is not how it's supposed to work for children of God. This is not how it works for you and for me. He continues in verses 3 through 5. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So he tells us these commandments are not burdensome, but how can that be? How can a book with probably 1,100 pages, because the font's pretty small, 
How can that not be burdensome? That's the good news. And the good news has several dimensions to it. One is that as children of God, we have some advantages over those who are not. One advantage of being a child of God is that when we mess up, when we fail to obey one of God's commandments, then all we have to do is confess it to God. And then our brother, Jesus the Christ, will stand up as our defense attorney, and he will say that we are not guilty because he has already paid the penalty for our sin with his sacrifice on the cross. Remember 1 John 2.1. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, that's a, a lawyer in this case, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. At the cross... Jesus, the righteous one, the the Son of God, Jesus, who never sinned once in his life, took all of the sin of the world on himself as the perfect and infinite sacrifice to, to cover the guilt and sin of the world, yours and mine, throughout the centuries. That, through his death and through his resurrection, that everyone who puts their faith in him can have forgiveness of those sins and can have eternal life. That's the Jesus who is our defense attorney, and that's why he is the greatest defense attorney ever. And so we can be encouraged that in every situation, no matter matter how badly we stumble and fall into sin, when we're down in the pit, when we're in the muck, when we're in the mire, All we have to do is reach up to our Father and confess our sin, and He'll pull us up out of it and wash us clean with the blood of Christ. But there's something that I think might even be more important than having this safety net for when we mess up, right? Because our life as Christians isn't just about fail to meet one of the commands, sin, get forgiveness, get recovered, repeat every 30 seconds. We are called and empowered to do better. Because John assures us that as believers, these commandments aren't actually burdensome at all. 1,100 pages are not actually burdensome. In fact, Jesus tells us they're not even heavy. Because we have overcome the world through our faith. Through our faith that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, overcoming, as it talks about in the verses here, is is kind of a vague word. We use it a lot. It's a good word. You know, we talk about overcoming obstacles and overcoming challenges. And and it is a good word, but it's also a little bit vague. And, And I don't even feel that it captures the essence of the passage of what the word is being used. Because the word that's used here is a word that many of us wear on our shoes. It's Nike. It is victory. It is conquest. This verse says we have conquered the world through our faith. The New English Translation, so, so I normally preach and read from the ESV, the English Standard Version, great, great translation. The New English Translation, also a very cool translation. And I think here it does a really good job of capturing the spirit of the additional writing because what it says is, everyone who has been fathered by God conquers the world. This is the conquering power that has conquered the world, our And the explanation of why the commandments are not burdensome is I found a little challenging in the way the verses are broken because the English translation puts a sentence break between verse 3 and verse 4. There is not a sentence break. 
The beginning of verse 4 is the ending of verse 3. So the better way to read it is, and these commandments are not burdensome, because everyone who's been born of God conquers the world. Our faith, our right belief is what makes right living possible for each of us because it makes the weight of the commandments light because it conquers the world for each of us. Now, you may not feel like a world conqueror this morning. So what does it mean to conquer the world? It's, it's not what you set out to do in a game of risk, right? It's not about subjecting countries and building an empire. Instead, as you read John's writings, as you read the Gospel of John, as you read the letters of John, as you read the Revelation of John, you come to see what he means by the world. And it always refers to the fallen part of humanity, the part that is still hostile to God. That world is under the dominion of Satan, which I think explains the current state of affairs in the world. And it doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean that God isn't in control or doesn't have ultimate power. He does. But it means that Satan is the local authority over the affairs of planet Earth. And if you watch the news with any regularity, I think you can agree that this biblical truth is true. For John, the world is everyone who still is in the kingdom of darkness, who's not yet been born of God. It's entirely distinct from the church, right? We talked, I think, two weeks ago, we talked about being moved from death into life, from darkness into light. So it's, it's the part that hasn't made that move yet. John records for us the prayer of Jesus that believers would be in the world, but not of the world. And we're in the world because we've got a mission to do, but he doesn't want the world to take us over. John emphasizes that the world doesn't understand us, doesn't really know us, because it didn't really know Jesus. And so we should never be surprised when we hear the the unusual things or the unfortunate things that non-believers have to say about Christians or they think about Christians, because they're not going to understand. The world, as John explains, it hates us, just as it hated Jesus, just as it hates itself. See, just as love is to be our distinguishing trait as Christians, even though sadly it often isn't, hate is the distinguishing characteristic of the world. And again, I think you would agree that sounds an awful lot like what we see on the news these days. Before we get too down on the world, we need to understand that the world is the reason it is the subject of God's saving work. Right? God so loved the world that he sent his son, said whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. So as lost as this world is, God loves it. And Jesus created and equipped his church, that's, that's you and me, to do the work of God here in this world and to help people move from darkness to light, from death to life. And so the world, this concept of the world is what, what, you know, what, what he means when he says that we have conquered the world by our faith. First John 2.16 describes the world as being the desires of the flesh, 
and the lusts of the eyes and the pride of life. So that world that we've conquered through our faith is the desires and the distractions and the lusts and the fears and the jealousies and the entanglements and the pressures and the stresses and the persecutions and the enticements and the temptations and the hurts and the petty amusements on our iPhones that keep us focused solely on ourselves and on the world. But Jesus frees us from enslavement to that world when we put our faith in him as Lord and Savior. That liberating faith is the conquering conquest that John talked about in today's passage. Our faith frees us through the power of the blood of Jesus. And it frees us by bringing the Holy Spirit into our hearts And beginning a process, a lifelong process of sanctification that makes us increasingly like Jesus. This is a process that is the work of a lifetime. It is not completed until we're in heaven. But in us, the Spirit begins to produce His fruit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So the blood of Christ frees us. The Holy Spirit empowers us. And ultimately, Jesus promises to labor beside us, to help us bear the burden. Right? Matthew 11, 29 and 30 tells us, if we just choose to obey his commands, then then take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Our faith, our right belief, gives us access to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. By that faith, we become children of God, and we gain everlasting life. And we are filled with love for God. And we need to do two things to express that love. Because our love can't just consist of flattering words directed at God, though we are called to praise Him, and we should, because He surely deserves praise. But our love must involve right loving, loving all the other children of God, even the ones we don't like. And it must involve right living, the habit of obeying God's commandments. And it would be impossible to do it on our own, but... We're not on our own, and God has done the hard part for us. We just have to walk in faith, seek his will, and seek to follow his commandments through his power and strength. Every person here who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is a child of God. And we should rejoice and celebrate in that, because that is just awesome. We have so much to celebrate, and we can be supremely confident in our faith. No matter what terrible things are happening in our lives, no matter how bad we feel, because our faith has conquered the world. We are free of its enslaving power. We truly know Christ. We truly abide in Christ, and we truly have eternal life. Join with me in prayer. 
Father God, we are so grateful for these amazing words of assurance that you have revealed to us through John. We thank you for the assurance in our faith that you give us that we are indeed your children and that you love us. That there is always forgiveness waiting when we, when we call on our Lord and Savior Jesus and confess our sins. Lord, help us to truly love you and show our love through our love for others and for obedience to your word. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. The invitation this morning is, first of all, to put your faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God if you have not done so already. Now, you may have been coming to church every Sunday for years, but if you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you have not overcome the world. You don't have this confidence, and it is, it is available for you. Right? God is holding out a gift for you in the form of His Son, Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you to just take a hold of that and tear it open like a child at Christmas. Right? Accept the gift. Put your faith in the one who rose from the dead. And if you take that step of faith or if you have done so recently, then I would encourage you to step forward as we sing so that we can celebrate together. Now, if you're already a believer, then you have indeed overcome the world. You can be confident, right? No matter what your heart is telling you, the power of God is stronger. And we can be confident. But if you're struggling with that confidence, if you're having trouble today, then I would encourage you to just take that to prayer. Whether it's in your seat or here at the steps, ask God to to build that confidence in you. That's very clearly in Scripture. And if you're already a believer and, and, and you're, you're feeling good and you're celebrating and you feel like this is the place you want to be, your church family, and you're not yet a member here, then I would encourage you to come forward as well. And we'll receive you. That this is the place you want to be, your church family. To walk together as a family in the footsteps of Jesus.